Hello, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Anna Loder from readabook.com.au. I'm a lifelong reader and book lover and a long-time book club member. 15 years, I can't believe it. I've been a bookseller for 13 and now I'm a reviewer and blogger. This is a weekly podcast celebrating that love of books and reading. I'm so excited to be in your ears today. Before we get started, can I quickly pay my respects to the Darawal people of the Uyora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which I work, play, read and live on. Along with the traditional owners of the lands throughout Australia, I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Let's get started. Have you read and loved the Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams? I have, and oh my goodness, I don't think it needs any introduction at all. Gosh, it's such a well-beloved novel, and I am one of those people who love it just so much. So when I saw that Pip Williams had a companion novel coming out, I was a little scared. I was worried that it wasn't going to live up to the dictionary, but oh my goodness, does the bookbinder of Jericho absolutely supersede the dictionary. I loved it. So it's been out for a couple of weeks now it's still on the best selling list I was absolutely beside myself when I got the email saying that my request for an interview was accepted I was said Audi I rang Dave who didn't really care I messaged my friend Marie who who is a book lover and did understand what a big deal it was and <laughs> asked if she wanted to interview as well but unfortunately couldn't make it work so today I'm interviewing Pitt Williams myself and I'm so beside myself I could not be more nervous completely stoked beyond words to get to have it hello I'm so sorry I'm so nervous I couldn't be a bigger fan oh, you're very when... welcome. <laughs> that's so nice oh, how are you oh, great thank you thank you so much for this it's such an oh awesome... you're very welcome Anna. <laughs> I loved this novel just as I knew that I would but I thought my expectations were too high because the dictionary of lost words is one of my favorite novels as I'm sure it is everybody's but this just superseded it was beautiful thank you oh, thank, thank you Anna thank you so much for saying that I'll give you a little tour of the lounge room. My partner, oh. Strawbell House. So, oh, I feel like I'm looking in partner. the lounge room. That's you are. Ordinary. <laughs> my That's partner beautiful. built it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So it's a bookshelf that goes to the ceiling. Floor to ceiling. Yeah, and we need we need the ladder, or we yeah. can't reach the books. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you look at the ones that are on the top? I'd be climbing oh, the ladder. Well, no, the ones that are at the top are the ones we probably don't read yep. <laughs> so much. <laughs> You've got one of the first editions of one of the books that were discussed in the bookbinder, don't you? One of the 1916. I've got a few, yeah. I can yeah. Show you. I can show you those. They're in. Can you see me? Yeah. Yes. In. So, yes. Although I do feel like I'm stalking you at the moment. <laughs> that's okay. I've got a few, and and stuff from the other book as well. But that's um Shakespeare's England. Oh. You can see all my little. Yes. Things. So yeah, that's the first edition. It's in it's two volumes. I've got both. And this is the that's the Oxford Book of German verse but I've also got the book of German verse, which was what they called it <laughs> yes. when they published it in 1916. 16, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, so, so it's nice. Peggy sort of bound those two. Yes, and it's really nice to hold the actual books. And there's Mary Opera. That's the edition yes, that is. they fold. Yes. Oh, wow. Homer's Odyssey. So yes. I find them online. Were they difficult to find or just expensive? Not well, both. Uh, no, they, they're difficult in that there are various sort of secondhand booksellers that you can just trawl really through their sites. So it takes time to find them because 
as specific as you might be in your search, it will just yeah. throw up everything yeah. with the title. And of course it doesn't care usually about the date. Yep. And that's what I cared about. And all yes. of these books are republished. So there's yeah. lots and lots, lots of them. Yeah, yeah. But I want one from a particular time in history. Yes. So it's a bit harder oh, to find. What a treat. Thank you so much for showing me. That's lovely. Yeah, that's I remember right. reading the Dictionary of Lost Words and, you know, when Esme is in there and she can take time off to retire from, yeah. from society and nobody's going to mind. Yeah, and yeah. I wondered then what the poorer people were doing and what the people who were working were doing. So to have the, yeah. the companion <laughs> in the bookbinder discuss that very thing just feels like this one was just written for me it was wonderful thank you I can't believe what a (laughs) tour you've done for the bookbinder you were everywhere Australian wide so cool yeah it's been fantastic Oh, you must be exhausted though. Well, I've been home now for a week. So oh, excellent. <laughs> yes, but now you're doing the podcast, yeah. so it's not much of a respite for you. Oh, that's okay. It's from home. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Please, at least you can be in comfortable yeah. clothes. How did you get the idea? I think that you were combing the, the researching for the dictionary and you accidentally found the video, I think, that put you onto the book bundle. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. I was in Oxford in 2019 and doing research, the last bit of research for the dictionary. Yeah, and came across some photographs of women folding pages in the bindery, but also some footage of, I think it's called The Making of a Book at Oxford University Press. You can still have a look at it online. Just go to YouTube and look that up. It goes for nearly 20 minutes, but in it they had the women actually doing the folding and then another woman gathering all of the sections. And she was just so graceful as she did it, you know, walked along the, the gathering bench. And that's when I started wondering if she ever read what she was gathering and if the women who were folding ever read the pages they were folding and that's when or if they ever character. wanted to I've never really thought about bookbinding or how a book yeah. gets created at all it's extraordinary yeah, yeah. It is. And I can't imagine that there wouldn't be a whole lot of women working in bindaries who didn't want to stop and read yes. what they were binding. And but some of them to bind, had, not to read. Exactly. And it would have slowed them down. So, yes. you know, they wouldn't have their job as well if they stopped to read. But, you know, it seems a cruelty to somebody who might have really aspired to education and learning to be mm-hmm. told they couldn't read books that were being churned out by Oxford University, you know. And they were like knackering themselves to get done and to for people to yeah. have the possibility of reading. For other people, yeah. Yeah, just extraordinary. Yeah. I'm ashamed that I've never really thought about it before. This novel just <laughs> brought so much like that into my thinking. It was just such a gift. It was obviously meticulously oh, researched and so well done. Thank you so much. Thank but it was you. also thank just I'm so such, glad to hear it. It was such a good read. I loved people. Peggy. Oh, good. I loved Maud. <laughs> oh, good. It's just such a delight. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> Listen, I've read a lot of historical fiction books, but I've never once really seen what the home front in England was like from the poorer classes' point of view. Was that something that you thought was missing? Is that something that you just naturally wrote about? Yeah, I did actually think it was missing. And I think it's missing for a reason. And it's because one of the types of research that I did, as well as looking at history, which really doesn't look at the particular lives of working class women, though it does talk about the working classes, because it was the working classes who signed up to go to war. (laughs) 
I mean, everyone did. But what I realised is that there's so little about women in the history books and so what I turned to was art. So I turned to biography and memoir and novels and also poetry and visual arts. And I looked at the art that was being made by women of that time to get a sense of what war was like for them. So you can read Virginia Woolf's diaries of mm. World War One. You can read Vera Britton's memoir, Testament mm. of Youth of World mm. War One. And I relied quite heavily actually on her memoir for right. the role of Tilda. Yes. Uh, because she also worked in the German ward at Eton yes. in yes. France. I looked at the paintings of an Australian artist called Izo Ray, who has a little cameo in the she book. She does, yes. Um, yeah, so she's a real Australian artist. But but the thing I also realised was that all of these women were middle-class or upper-class women and that the only people who could make art at that time were women of means yes. who had, as Virginia Woolf, a room of their own and 700 yes. a year. Yes. So you needed time. Yes. And you needed money to make art. Yes. And so we don't have art from working class women. There would be artifacts, there'd be quilting, there'd be mm-hmm. letters, there'd be all sorts of things. But in terms of published art, you know, that comes from the middle or upper classes. Yes. And so we are missing that experience. And so I really did want to write about working class women, but also women who weren't waiting for a man to come home. I was really interested in just women who uh, in a way didn't have skin in the game and and I wanted to see how they got on with living their lives and also pursuing their dreams because everything changed Mm. uh, in the war because there were many more opportunities for women. I really had that intellectual sense. Of course, the men are gone and there's positions to be filled by the women now and that's how we came to progress. But I hadn't actually ever seen it in such a day-to-day novelised form. It was really, I hadn't really ever appreciated it. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> Keep repeating how wonderful it is. Oh, no, I, I appreciate it. You don't know by the time you hand in your final draft, you have no idea. <laughs> you can't read it properly. So I wasn't really sure whether it was any good. <laughs> oh, and I guess with all the success of the dictionary, like they must have just been clamoring for a sequel or companion novel. <laughs> No, no, actually. Oh, wow. they just, my publishers did just say, you know, let us know when you've got another idea. And I had one before the dictionary was published. So I'd started writing this before dictionary had even come out. And I let them know about it. And there are some risks writing a companion because we didn't know yet whether the first book would do any good. Yes. And then to write a companion to a book that hadn't been popular (laughs) wouldn't have been the most strategic decision. (laughs) But as it turns out, it was popular and so people were kind of keen to see the next book. Yeah, so Gosh, not only was it popular, it was the first yeah. Australian novel to be picked up by a Reese Witherspoon <laughs> book club. Yeah. I read it was the sleeper hit of 2020. I read it because my friend recommended it, but it wasn't really, I never read the dictionary as a child. I was never really interested in words like that, <laughs> more the story. Yeah. Well, you know, and when I was writing it and people would say, what are you writing about? And I'd say a dictionary and they'd just, they'd just change the subject. <laughs> 
because <laughs> it sounded so boring. And I didn't love dictionaries as a child either. So right. I had a very love-hate relationship with dictionaries. I was but a terrible speller. I was really so. good. It was same. Yeah, yeah. So I have dislexia. So I, oh. I had, uh, yeah. People were always giving me dictionaries as yeah. if that would help. Which, if you're a really, really bad speller, you can't look up the no, words. No, it was no help at all. The beginning of the word. <laughs> It doesn't help at all. Yeah, but I was interested in that story and that took me to that time in history. Yeah. Did you know and, that you had something And writing special? that story. I did with the idea, yeah, yeah, because I'd read another book by Simon Winchester called The Surgeon of Crowthorn, which is nonfiction. Mm-hmm. But reading that made me understand how the dictionary was put together and I just realised that it was a biased, gendered project. Mm. And I suddenly realized that the dictionaries that I had, that I'd always trusted to be objective, weren't, that they were as flawed as the individuals who'd put them together. And that was quite shocking to me. And I knew that writing about it was writing about a really interesting idea. I didn't know if I could pull it off, but I knew the idea was good. Yeah. Oh, you more than pulled it off. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) What a masterpiece. Is it going to be published in America and it's just being called The Bookbinder? That's right. Yeah, they're calling it the bookbinder. Yeah, but it's the bookbinder of Jericho everywhere else. So they just had a problem with the word Jericho because it just, obviously for most people it conjures the Middle East, but Jericho is a town in Oxford and that's where the press is. And I don't think it hurts readers to find out that there are lots of places in the world called Jericho. (laughs) It does not hurt at all because I don't read the back of book novels or anything. And so when I was lucky enough to get the arc, I did assume that it was a Middle Eastern type bookbinder, but... Yeah. yeah. I mean, the UK should be more familiar with the town because it is in England, but they've got a cover that has a narrow boat on it, and <laughs> which I think they did especially to try and make sure that people understood it was a story set in the UK. A narrow boat just full of books. It's such a wonderful yeah. image, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved their mother. Gosh, she was a lovely character. Oh, I'm so glad because she's, you know, dead. So <laughs> she's I not, still know, you know her so well. In it, which I, I hoped would happen that she becomes a character despite the fact she's not physically around. Yeah. She was obviously just like Peggy wanted yes, to read the books absolutely. rather than find them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but had no opportunity. Yeah. That. But, yes, so the refugees that are flooding in from Belgium, I've never actually ever even thought about those refugees before. I know that we went to war for the Belgian people, and, but I've never thought <laughs> about the refugees. Poirot is the most famous Belgian refugee. <laughs> See, I don't read Agatha Christie. <laughs> Agatha Christie, yeah, yeah. So, so he's the most famous Belgian refugee, I think, in England. And one of the few that stayed, you know, I know he's fictional, but most of the Belgian refugees actually were sort of convinced to go home at the end of the war. So their passage was paid and there was quite strong encouragement to leave the country oh. when the war was done. But at the beginning of the war, though, they were welcomed with open arms, much like Ukrainians are being welcomed with open arms into Europe at the moment. Yes. So really similar circumstance, in fact, because Germany invaded neutral Belgium and Russia invaded Ukraine for no Mm. reason. So really similar circumstances. And it started a world war, that kind of behaviour. Is this just a deliberate thing that you did or a coincidence? Um, Not because of Russia, because that hadn't happened when I started writing it. No, no, that was just another one of history's coincidences. Uh, But it was deliberate that I include refugees in this story Mm. for lots of reasons, because they were a really important part. They were the reason, like you said, that Britain went to war. Mm. They were a really in part of the lives 
lives of people in towns where refugees were welcomed and Oxford mm-hmm. welcomed 200 refugees and they wow. they got jobs in various places, including Oxford University Press. They lived amongst the locals. I was interested to explore life at home and refugees were part of life at home, mm-hmm. but also conscious of, you know, refugees now and the way we treat refugees from various parts of the world. I was interested in that experience and so it was great to write about that from the World War One perspective. Yeah. Oh, it was great to read that from the World War One perspective. It was deliberate to include the Spanish flu. <laughs> I just thought that was so well done as well. Well, and interestingly, a lot of books written about that time don't include the flu, even though the Spanish flu killed far more people than the war. But books about World War One almost never write about the Spanish flu. And it was a significant part of that yeah, experience in 1918, 1919. Because they didn't um, die as heroes? Possibly, possibly that. I, I've read that it was so devastating people couldn't bring themselves to write about it mm. and it wasn't heroic. It wasn't mm. at all heroic, especially when a lot of heroes come home from war having survived World War One, like four and a half years yeah. of war, they'd come home and die of the flu because the second wave of the Spanish flu targeted, mostly killed people in their 20s. So the average age of death from the wow. Spanish flu in the second wave was 27. So yeah, so it was all these young men coming home and obviously they wouldn't have been physically at their best, but mm. there, there was something very peculiar about that strain of flus that it did target healthy young people and so they were the people dying from the flu. So it was kind of, it was incredibly tragic and I just yeah. think there were lots of reasons people can't write about tragedy immediately after. So they're few and far between mm. and so I wanted to include it because it was such a significant part of that time, but also it was particularly significant for women because it was women who were having to do the caring. And so maybe that's why it's not written about so much because yeah. it was particularly a woman's experience in terms of caring. For yes, the, the ones that weren't married and didn't have kids. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Gosh, there's so much to think about, isn't there? <laughs> when you're interested in history, it really is whose history you're interested in. And Well, that's right. Which yeah. I think you do so well. Oh, my goodness. Just the class division in your novel. <laughs> it was incredible. I know that Peggy says only you lot got to cast your ballot and when she's thinking about masterpieces and Austin and Bronte and how they still had somebody to make the bed and and make their dinner and things it was just there's so much to think about in this novel it's just so well done oh thank you yeah that that it's also it might be intentional that things like ancient Greek and that there are real roadblocks to getting an education that it's set up deliberately to keep the poor people out yeah well and if not deliberately it's what we would these days call uncomfortable conscious bias Mm -hmm. so it worked and there was no reason to question it because it was working for the right people and it wasn't just working for the upper classes it was working for men so women even of means were not usually taught ancient Greek because they often they were often tutored at home so Mm -hmm. yeah they might have been taught it by a tutor but ancient Greek wasn't necessarily widely taught even at girls schools for those who went but certainly for working class people in general. Ancient Greek was not on the curriculum. The fact that it was a prerequisite to get into Oxford and Cambridge is just such a wonderfully, (laughs) just such a wonderfully effective barrier to 
educating working class people and unnecessary unless you're going to study classics (laughs) and not everyone wants to study classics of course not (laughs) piggy and ward's mum might have liked it he might have wanted to absolutely (laughs) i think piggy Um, is well within all right it's not too late yeah (laughs) i'm really interested in how basically how systems keep people in their place so the books i've written are particularly interested in how individual men might keep in individual women down. In fact, I'm interested in writing about good men in bad systems. And essentially that that's what Peggy was living within, a system that was designed to keep her in her place. But, you know, it has changed somewhat, but not completely. And for so, so many people here in Australia today, it's still really hard to get an education because the system is designed for a particular class of people really or or a particular group of people with certain knowledge experience education if you haven't got that if you're a child of immigrant parents who've never been to university navigating our university system is really Mm. difficult getting in Mm. is really difficult yeah you are neurotypical in any way staying in university is really hard you know there are so many barriers to so many people still um, but I think that's the beauty of reading a novel like the book binder of Jericho because it it really highlights that unconscious bias and the just the things that are easy to see because you're looking so far in the past but for these people it's normal life and then it does bring it home and what what systems are in place for us today what make it difficult today what are our unconscious bias yeah that's right so much to think about Peggy is like so many of us. She can sometimes be her own worst enemy. You know, she can use all sorts of things as an excuse to not pursue the thing she wants more than anything in yeah. life, which we yes. all do. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> Wasn't it nice to see that reflected back in the page as well? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I really need to lose weight, but yet do I do it on a day to day basis? <laughs> Yeah, because you can always do it tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. You can always start <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow I'll, read, I'll read that book. I'll go for that run. I'll write oh. those words. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what is next? Are you going to do another companion? Are we going to see it from? Well, I think my next book is probably not going to be an Oxford book. I'm quite interested in writing something that's a bit more contemporary and closer to home. And I had an idea that I was actually writing before I wrote the dictionary. So I think I might pursue that. I can't tell you what it's about because it's still half formed. Um, but yes, I, I do have an idea. But I also have an idea for another Oxford novel, but I think that, that will be a little while away. Oh, wonderful. Well, yeah. after reading the dictionary, I just assumed that you'd be like half a Lee and that would be it for you. <laughs> I thought about it. Oh, bless. Yeah. Well, I enjoy the writing. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. Yeah. That, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, no, I really love it. So, yeah, I'll keep doing it for a while. Oh, excellent. <laughs> well, music to my ears. Thank you. I'm going I'm to let you go now have a little cry and to think oh how lucky oh, I am. oh and then you're so wonderful. gorgeous the dictionary Thank of lost you. words was my all-time favorite read of 2020 when I think COVID I think the dictionary and then to have read the book binder and I was just so lucky to have read it earlier and oh, then to speak to you, you I'm just oh, now I'm out <laughs> oh if I could give you a hug I would I'm reaching out <laughs> all right and it's so, so lovely much. to see you <laughs> 
Okay, so that's it for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Please leave a review wherever you can, but especially where you found my Readable podcast. If you'd like more connection, please head on over to thereadable.com.au. There's plenty of book reviews and recommendations there, and that's also where you'll find my blog. And I would love, love, love to welcome you into our community. There's a membership page on readable.com.au. There are three levels. The first is free, and I'm so hoping that you would like to help me build my online community where we can enjoy reading more together. Thank you.